How often do you use customer reviews to determine whether you will make a purchase from a store, go to a restaurant, stay at a hotel, or perhaps an Airbnb? I regularly use reviews to pick where I will eat, where I will stay, or where I will do business. Five stars get my attention. But a high rating means more when the number of reviewers is a large group. Five stars with 10 reviewers suggest to me that maybe it was the family and friends who did the review of that business. But if there are hundreds of reviews and the rating is still high, they've got my attention because that business, that service has a good reputation. They've built up a good name for themselves. Now, you might wonder, what's in a name? What difference does a good reputation make? In a business, a good name is everything. If you're looking for products that are the same no matter where you buy them, reputation hardly matters. Why? Well, for those kinds of products, things like your groceries, you know, milk, cheese, chips, whatever it might be, your allegiance can be bought. How? With a sale, a coupon, a good deal. And that works because you trust the product because of the brand name and you go buy that product wherever it is cheapest. But when you're considering a service or a product that needs to be backed up by the provider, a product that requires trust, like a good mechanic, a financial advisor, a home builder, or maybe it's a pastor you're wondering about visiting, a name is very important. We want good references. We ask other people their opinion on whether or not that person or that business is trustworthy. So why am I talking about ratings and customer reviews today? Because the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about this topic. Proverbs teaches us that a good name, a good reputation is more important and more valuable than money. Our reputation is what people generally believe to be true about us, about a person, a business, or an organization. It is what is passed on informally about us. Now, I came to faith in Jesus shortly after high school. And as a new Christ follower, I remember speaking to a business person about the intersection of faith and business. And I was told Sunday is Sunday and Monday is Monday. In other words, business and faith in Jesus are two separate things from each other. That never sat well with me. It never made sense to me. And even as a new Christ follower, I could not understand why you would disconnect your faith from your work life or from your business transactions. The Apostle Paul was a bivocational church planter. He worked to support himself while he traveled and started new churches. He told the church in the city of Colossae, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your, as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 3. Now Paul taught the church that the first person that you are working for is God and that all your work, all your business tra- transactions are for him. It is his name that you represent in your business dealings. You are serving Christ first and foremost. Now, you might think, what does Jesus know about running a business? Now, remember, Jesus was a businessman before he ever began his public ministry. In fact, Jesus was a businessman for much longer than he was a preacher. He knew the challenges of doing good work, of bidding on projects, of collecting from his clients, and of dealing with difficult customers. How do I know that? 
Well, first century Jewish history tells us that. It tells us that Jesus would have learned the trade of carpentry from his father, most likely as a young teenager. And then at some point, he would have taken over that business from his father. And in Jesus' case, that most likely happened when his dad passed away. Uh, history thinks sometimes during Jesus' teenage years. And Jesus made it very clear that a person's faith impacts every area of their life. He made it clear that faith in him is to be at the very center of all things, the very center of our lives, the center of our work, the center of every investment, of every business transaction is to bring honor to him. Jesus told us, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he, Jesus, will give you everything that you need. That means that all our business ethics come from Jesus and that every business decision reflects on his reputation more than yours or mine. Proverbs chapter 22, our text for today, the first 16 verses teach us that our priorities are to be in all of our business transactions. First of all, we need to choose a good name. Proverbs 22 verse 1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. The New Living Translation says, Choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. The context of Proverbs suggests that we choose what our reputation will be. Now, in the Old Testament, a good reputation is regarded as one of the most valuable assets that a person has. The word favor in this text uh, could be more literally translated good grace and refers to the kind of personality and character that creates a favorable impression. Proverbs 22.1 also teaches us that choosing to have a good name or a good reputation is more important than choosing to acquire riches. Did you catch that? A good reputation is the result of the choices we make and maximizing our reputation is more important than maximizing our financial profits or financial rewards. Choosing a good name is a long-term strategy. What makes a name good? Where do we start to build a reputation that is worth more than money? Well, verse 2 of Proverbs 22 says, The rich and the poor uh, meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. All people, regardless of economic status, are equal before God. That is the starting point for building a good name. Everyone tends to compare themselves to others. I mean, Facebook has built an entire empire on getting people to try and create a life that is the envy of others. That's the point of half the stories that are posted. It's part of who humanity is and our separation from God. We compare, we judge, we identify with those who make us feel better about ourselves and we like to feel better than others. But Proverbs teaches us that we have equal standing before God, no matter, no matter whether we are rich or poor. That is the place to start building a name for yourself. How? By realizing that we are all the same before God and ultimately our identity comes from him, not from our finances or our accomplishments. If your identity comes from your income, you will do everything in your power to increase your wealth and to protect your wealth. Your conversations, your actions, your priorities, your business dealings, your decisions will be driven by the, wealth, by the values of wealth creation, wealth management, and wealth retention. People will be the means to your end. You will use people and you will love money instead of loving people and using money. When we stand before God, and we all will, whether we believe it or not, 
we stand as equals regardless of the magnitude of our financial portfolio. A good reputation begins when we understand we live from that identity we have in Christ. Now, what do I mean by that statement? The definition of identity is who you are, the way you think about yourself, and the way you are viewed by the world and the characteristics that define you. The Apostle Paul began every letter he wrote with some form of self-description of his identity. He used the phrase servant of Christ, or often the word apostle to describe himself. His identity was in Christ, and his life was focused on service to people for the glory of Christ. In Acts 27, Paul describes himself as belonging to God and serving God. Once you know who you are and who you serve, your business decisions simply need to reflect that identity. Now ask yourself, whose identity do your business decisions reflect to the world? Do your business decisions, or simply put, your ethics reflect an identity based on money, on self-preservation, family reputation, on projecting a certain image, or do they reflect Christ to the world? If you're not sure how to answer that question, ask your spouse or your friends to tell you what they see in your ethics and give them explicit permission to speak truth into your life. I know it can be scary, but I'm sure it'll be enlightening. What is your identity as a follower of Jesus? Now, listen to what the Bible says. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man and woman in his own image. In the image God created them. Male and female, he created them. Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. Why? For you are all one in Christ Jesus. John 1 verse 12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, you're created by God. Your identity comes from God. And he says, now you are children of God. 1 Peter 2 verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim, that you may proclaim the excellencies of of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Identity is the family of God. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You are created by God for relationship with him. If you believe in Jesus, you are adopted into God's family. Your citizenship is in heaven. You have a God-given purpose because he planned good works for you to do. How do you live out of your identity in Christ? Now, the next four verses in the book of Proverbs, uh, chapter 22, give us a quick synopsis. Verse 3 says, The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. The prudent person understands their need for wisdom. They steer clear of danger. The author of Proverbs contrasts the prudent person with the simple person, with a a thoughtless person. The thoughtless person is making decisions that are not rooted in their identity in Christ. They are not asking, how do I best bring glory and honor to God in my decisions? They are looking to bring glory and honor to themselves, to build their identity through their own conquests. So first question to ask yourself, how do my ethics, how do your ethics bring glory to God? 
Verse four says, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. What happens when you know whose you are and whom you serve? When you find your identity in Jesus? Proverbs tells us that the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Humility is the absence of pride. Humility is the self-awareness of our sinfulness and God's goodness and forgiveness. Humility is the feeling of dependence on God, the surrender of the will to God, the conviction of sin from God. And all those are encompassed in the term, the fear of the Lord or the fear of Yahweh. True piety is the source of every virtue and every blessing, riches, honor, and life. Now, a few weeks ago, you may remember, Pastor Rob said, to fear God is to recognize his size and his terror. To trust God is to recognize that he is dependable and not erratic. The thing that is most worthy of fear is the thing that is most worthy of trust. John Newton, in his famous song, said it like this, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." If we haven't learned to fear God, we probably won't get to enjoy the peace to be gained from trusting Him. Secondly, then, the question is, how do my ethics show my trust in God? Proverbs 22.5 says, "'Thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from them.'" Life is compared to a pathway in Proverbs, in places hedged by thorns, which hamper progress and harm the passerby. A wise person sees these impediments and stays away from those paths. When we do business for short-term gains, to make a quick buck, or with an eye to what benefits us the most, we will create trouble for ourselves and for others. Reputations are built on the many small decisions we make that communicate whether or not we are self-centered, we are proud, we are selfish, or we are short-term thinkers. Notice that verse 5 contrasts the way of the crooked with then, with then the one who guards his soul. It's interesting that crooked is not compared to straight, honest, or trustworthy, the opposites of crooked. Instead, crooked is contrasted with the one who guards his soul. What are you guarding your soul from? Are you guarding your soul from pride, from selfishness, from short-sightedness, from living for yourself rather than living as a citizen of God's kingdom? Are you guarding your soul from thinking that you can live without God, without his kingdom, and without his eternity? Are you guarding your soul from playing God and from buying into the same lie that was sold to Adam and Eve? The lie that said, God can't be trusted and you should really only trust yourself. The fear and anxiety driving many people today is rooted in misplaced worship. Worship of what, you ask? Worship of self, worship of health, worship of our standard of living, worship of humanity thinking that we can create heaven on earth, that we can have this kingdom that God promises and that our hearts long for without allegiance to actually the king who created it. Third question for you to ask yourself, do my ethics reflect a guarded soul? Do my ethics reflect a guarded soul? Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The verb translated train means to give something into the mouth or to give to be tasted, like a mother putting baby food into the mouth of her child. The verb came to mean to train. 
child training involves narrowing a child's conduct away from evil towards godliness and starting them in the right direction. It means to prepare them in what they are good at. Whatever occupation our child is to later follow, it is necessary to prepare him or her for it early in their teen years. And those habits are formed which will influence their conduct into adulthood. This maxim is an injunction to parents to consider their child's nature, faculties, and temperament in the education that is given to them. Now, where does a child learn their identity from? First and foremost, at home. This is not the responsibility or role of our school system. This is our responsibility as parents. Teach your children who they are in Jesus and then teach them how to live that out, how to live out that identity in whatever profession or role in life they pursue. Teach your child what it means to be a child of God and how God's children treat each other. That will inform their ethics in all of life. Now remember, parents, your children are always watching you and they will learn more from what you do than from what you say. Here's the fourth question to ask yourself. How are my ethics shaping the next generation for God? So how do you keep a good name? Point one, be careful. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. The word rich in this case is singular, while the word uh, poor is plural. For there are many poor for every one who is rich. Half of the world's net wealth belongs to the top 1% of earners. The top 10% of adults hold 85% of the world's wealth, and the top 30% of adults hold 97% of total wealth. The author of Proverbs faithfully depicts the facts of life. Whether he proves of them or not, wealth breeds power and preeminence. Poverty leads to trouble and servitude. A person loses his independence when he is beholden to another for assistance. A debtor loses, to a certain extent, their freedom. The implication is that everyone would strive and labor to master a competency and thus avoid the evils of poverty. Now, Paul was giving advice to young pastor Timothy when he said this to him, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And for some people, craving money, having wandered from true faith, have pierced themselves with many sorrows. The love of money, not money itself, but the love of money. Whereas wealth bestows power, It also creates certain dangers. Verse 8 of Proverbs 22 says, Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of his fury will fail. We reap what we sow, both in this world and the next. So be careful. Secondly, be generous. Verse 9 says, Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. New Living Translation says, A generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. The bountiful eye, that language, or generous people are those who, d- who are disposed to helping, uh, being helpful and kind-hearted. It is the opposite of the stingy person. Proverbs warns us against stingy people. Proverbs 23, 6 says, Do not eat bread, the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies. 28, 22 says, A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon them. The eye is the window through which a person's character may be discerned. A benefactor of the needy is blessed by God in time and in eternity. So be generous. Thirdly, be discerning. Verse 10 says, Drive out a scoffer, and strife will go out, and quarreling and abuse will cease. 
A person who comes within the category of scoffer has no moral or religious principles. They bring division to all their relationships. They do not respect people or God. Proverbs is warning us against being that kind of person or entertaining those kinds of people. Because scoffers within our organizations will cause friction, division, and dissension. Proverbs is very pointed in telling us what to do with this kind of person. For the sake of the harmony of the body, such a person must be expelled, actually. It's very serious language. These are the kind of words that should cause us to reflect on our words and our actions. Fourthly, be sincere. Verse 11 says, He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. If you want to build your reputation, if you want to keep a good name, develop these two qualities. First, purity of heart. In other words, your motives must be sincere. Be authentic, we would say. Be real. Don't patronize or simply flatter people. If you're not real with people, people will eventually see through you. Secondly, the author said, be one whose speech is gracious. In other words, the ability to express one's thought in gracious language. Proverbs says that a person possessing these two qualities eventually attracts the king's attention and enduring friendship. I think the same is true. You still attract attention of honorable people and their friendship. Fifthly, be God conscious. Verse 12 says, the eyes of the Lord watch over knowledge, but he overthrows the words of the traitor. God watches over and protects the person who knows him and walks in his ways and uses his abilities for the good of others. To be God conscious is to abide in God's presence through regular Bible reading and prayer. It is to lay your life and decisions before him and to walk in obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit. It is to speak his words of life to everyone and to every situation. On the other hand, the speech of a faithless person, a person working for their own selfish ends, will ultimately be exposed by God. Now, this may not happen in the short term, but God's justice will reign and prevail in the long term. God promises us that. How do you hurt a good name? We've talked about how do you get a good name? How do you hurt a good name? Proverbs 22 lays out four ways that we hurt our reputation. First one is laziness. Verse 13 says, The sluggard says, There's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. A sluggard, great word, is a person who is habitually lazy. The sluggard invents a fantastic reason for not going about their business. In this case, the excuse is that they might get attacked by a lion roaming through the streets of the city. We laugh at the ridiculousness of this verse. But there's a point to be made here. We build a poor reputation when we continually play the victim and say that all the obstacles we face are outside of ourselves. If we see ourselves as victims, we will be victims. Now, this does not negate hardship, but it does create a worldview. The Apostle Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He was not a victim, no matter how difficult his life was at times, and we know it was very difficult at times. Secondly, immoral women. Verse 14 says, The mouth of a forbidden woman is a deep pit. He with whom the Lord is angry will fall into it. Now, in this context, it's talking about prostitutes. And Israelites uh, who prostituted themselves were acting contrary to the principles of the covenant they had made with God. The reference to her mouth is meant uh, to refer to her seductive words, which entice a man to destruction of the body and soul. The deep pit 
is a symbol of irretrievable ruin. God calls us to fidelity in our relationships with each other and with him. Sex outside of marriage is very connected to our emotions. The more we become slaves to our emotions, the greater the likelihood of us making very poor decisions. The problem is in today's world, emotions are king. We have come to believe that if we feel something, that if we feel something is right, it must be good for us. We must do it. Emotions make good servants who, that inform us what is going on inside of us. But emotions are very poor masters. Emotions are brainless. They cannot discern their source. For instance, movies can make you feel a great range of emotion, even though you know what you are watching is not real. Movies can terrify us, even though we know we are not in any kind of danger. Do not be driven by your emotions. Be informed by them and discern their source. Thirdly, undisciplined undisciplined childhood. Verse 15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Folly here is the love of mischief, the waywardness and and self-will which appear to be bound up in a child. It's part of their nature. Every child needs to have boundaries for their development, for them to grow into adult life. Boundaries that build character, that teach wisdom and values and priorities. Every child needs parents and other adults in their lives who model a walk with Jesus through their words, their actions, and their priorities, and who teach the child what their identity is in Christ. Fourthly, mistreating the weak. Verse 16 says, whoever oppresses the poor to increase their own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. Now, there are numerous translations of this verse, but the bottom line is clear. Mistreating the poor or giving the rich, uh, giving to the rich for personal benefit and personal gain will ultimately lead to harm for us. Often people who use others, whether they be poor or rich for personal gain, end up being on the other end of similar schemes by others. If you, pl- if you play in this pond, there are many others who play the same way, using people to get what they want. And ultimately, a person who gets ahead by oppressing the poor or by showering gifts on the rich will end in poverty. If not in this world, definitely in the next. Some time ago, I was involved in a business transaction that did not go well. And to make a long story short, the end result of the transaction was that it ended up costing me a great deal more money than I had planned on spending. The transaction had a few areas that were what I would describe as open to interpretation, uh, with both parties having different ideas about how things should be resolved. Financially, things were not moving in my favor. I was complaining to my wife, uh, Gwen, about this one day, and when she simply reminded me, she said, relationships are always more important than money. Stop me in my tracks. My relationship with God is more important than money because of my relation, because my relationship with God is what drives my life. And my relationship with people is more important than money because it reflects on my relationship with God. And that includes the person I had made the deal with. So things were settled and I paid more. So the reflection questions that I have for you today are, how do my ethics bring glory to God? How do my ethics show trust in God? Do my ethics reflect a guarded soul? And how are my ethics shaping the next generation for God? We're going to take a few minutes to reflect on those questions.